I turn this evening to our scripture lesson as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. So I turn again to Exodus chapter 20, and we'll read this evening the Fifth Commandment, which is in verse 12. And we come now to what is often called the second table of the law. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, as the Lord spoke to Israel, and as Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, faithfully and infallibly recorded for us. And so here we have the very word of the living God, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. May the Lord now bless not only the reading, but the exposition and the hearing of his word this evening. As we come this evening in this series on the Ten Commandments to the Fifth Commandment, we also do reach what, as I mentioned a minute ago, is is known as the second table of the law. Uh, That is, uh, as the moral law of God is summarized in the Ten Commandments, which he spoke in this chapter of Exodus at Mount Sinai to uh, directly to Israel. The first four can be grouped together as what's often known as the first table of the law. And those four that we've already dealt with uh, deal primarily with our duty to God. And they can be summarized with the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, as Jesus said. And he was repeating uh, a statement from Deuteronomy. And so uh, we see here, indeed, we will, we should love the Lord our God. And how do we know to express that love? Well, we look at what's known as the first table of the law. It's a good starting point. And we also note uh, that, uh, that uh, it's probably not a coincidence that if you look at the number of words in the Hebrew of the first four commandments and put them alongside of the other six commandments, they're roughly even. And so if you were to put them on stone tablets, you might even put these first four on one tablet and the other six on another tablet. But the first four, whether that's how it actually went in the first place or not, uh, the first four are often considered the first table of the law. Uh, They are, as our confessional standards say, primarily about our duty to God. The second table of the law, Commandments 5 through 10, uh, have primarily to do with our duty to mankind. Now, of course, what God commands us to do to others is a command for obedience to him as well. And so sinning uh, against our brothers, sinning against our uh, other uh, men and women around us uh, by violating the, the fifth through the tenth commandment, we're also sinning against God, of course. But they are primarily about our duty to other people. How do we treat each other? How do we treat people around us? And it can be summarized with the commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And also, as we look a little closer, you might have noticed this last time, the fourth and fifth commandments are somewhat transitional. When we talked about the Sabbath last time, you might recall that We know that first and foremost, we keep the Sabbath. Why? To honor God. To imitate Him, even. For He 
labored for six days in creating and then rested on a seventh. But we also know that it's to give each other a rest from our regular labors. We're to honor our earthly parents as we look at the fifth commandment. And so first and foremost, it's, it's the first commandment that starts to tell us uh, directly how do you treat other people around you. But ultimately, of course, we owe allegiance and honor to our Heavenly Father. And so this uh, is also sort of a transitional commandment. But certainly it does start what we often call the second table of the law, uh, that section of the commandments that tells us our duty to other people, to how, how do we treat each other. So we might, uh, it's often been said that the first four commandments are vertical. You know, how do we look up to God? And then these are horizontal. How do we look around us? And how do we act to the people around us? As we'll see in a few weeks, since uh, covetousness, is uh, really idolatry. The Tenth Commandment will bring us full circle uh, back around to honoring God uh, by doing our duty to mankind. So all of the Ten Commandments are actually interrelated in many ways. But here tonight we're dealing with the Fifth Commandment. The Fifth Commandment states, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. A few things about the meaning of this commandment might be noted. First of all, we note that the first word, as we have it here in our English translations, is honor. Honor means, of course, to give proper respect. If the respect is improper, it is not required. For example, uh, if your father or mother, and as we'll see later, this also extends to other people in authority, Uh, If someone in authority over you demands that you do something that you know is sinful, of course, your first duty is to God. And it's not honoring to your parents to obey a wish of theirs, a desire of theirs, a command of theirs that is ungodly. Honoring your parents does not mean blind obedience, but it does mean respecting them as human beings, first and foremost, and also then Uh, respecting their position of authority in your life, the position that they have uh, over you, particularly when we're young children, when we're minor children. But even as adults, it means respecting them as human beings, as the people that God uh, set over you in your childhood, and even respecting their wishes as you can, insofar as it does not violate God's law. So, of course, for minor children, that means complete general obedience in all things not sinful. For adult children, it means doing right by your parents, even when it does, uh, is not convenient for you, uh, when it doesn't violate your adult duties to God and to others. Uh, for instance, the needs and wishes of my wife and my children have to be ahead in my life right now because of the position that I'm in of my parents' desires uh, for my consideration. So I have to consider them first because, remember, a man is to leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So that's my command from God that that has to be my priority in the family that my wife wife and I have been blessed to have uh, are my priority. But 
I still am commanded by God to honor my father and my mother. And so I can't use that, and you must not use that kind of thing as the prioritizing of duties as an excuse not to honor your parents. Jesus points out that we can't use God as an excuse not to care for aged parents. When uh, people were, were listening to the Pharisees' law, the Pharisees were telling them, uh, you can dedicate a certain amount of your current wealth or your uh, income in the future to the temple. So it's dedicated, it's korban. And then when it came time for people to care for their aged parents who could no longer care for themselves, what would they say? Well, I could support you, but I don't have the money, mom and dad. It's korban. I've, I've already dedicated it to the temple. And Jesus says, so they've taken the teachings of men and taught them as doctrines. They've taken the precepts of men and taught them as God's law and thus taught people actually to get around God's law and to violate it. The first principle is to care for the parents. It's not usually an either-or situation, honoring our parents, but if it is, either please my mom or please my wife, either please one parent or please your husband, ladies, uh, then, then the husband comes first, my wife comes first. But honor your father and your mother. And honoring them means first recognizing their status as fellow human beings, but you don't honor everyone else the way you honor your parents. And secondly, then, it means more on top of that, more than that, recognizing the, the God-given role that they have in your life. Honor them. Secondly, the second thing or part of the commandment is your father and your mother. Well, obviously that means first and foremost those who either conceived and gave birth to you and or raised you. The duty of our little girls, because we've adopted them, to honor their parents is toward Kim and me. Uh, that command is for the ones who are raising them. They, there are other ways they can honor their birth parents as they grow up, but certainly their first duty to honor their father and mother is to those who have adopted and are raising them. So whether it's biological parents who raised you, adoptive parents, even foster parents, a grandparent who has primary caregiving status, step-parents, uh, that would all be included in the command, honor your father and your mother. Think about uh, Joseph in Genesis 37 when he dreams about the stars, the 12 uh, stars that are, are the, the sun and moon, sorry, and stars that are bowing down before him. Sun and moon and 11 stars. And uh, what does Jacob say? Do you think that your father and mother will bow before you as well as your brothers? Well, Joseph's biological mother died long before that. But it was speaking here there of, of Leah, of the primary wife of Jacob. She was to be honored as Joseph's mother in that scenario. But Scripture also refers to others in our lives in positions that are like unto a parent. Uh, teachers, for example. In fact, we 
we know that Judas betrayed Jesus, how? With a kiss. Well, why was that a sign that Jesus was the one that the soldiers needed to arrest? Well, it was the, because that's what students did to their teacher. Why did students do that to their teacher? Because that's what children did to their father. And so students treated the teacher like a father. It was to show a familial type of relationship. So teachers in Scripture and in biblical society were, are in a position like unto that of a parent. Political leaders, of course, are like fathers to a nation. And we're told that the kings of the earth are supposed to be as nursing mothers to the church. There, are, there is a parental kind of role for someone in political leadership. Employers have something like a parental role. We see this uh, when we see how in uh, Genesis 17, for example, and in Acts 16, that when the head of a household uh, gets circumcised or baptized, what happens? Well, the whole house receives the sign. And that included servants. So we can see employers having something like a parental role. The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, summarizes biblical teaching on this matter in this way. Does the fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals? So, in other words, as we dig into uh, the what the meaning of honor your father and your mother is, it implies not only honoring our parents and others in a superior position to us socially, but also treating inferiors in a proper way. So extending from that, we might think of Paul's commands in Ephesians to parents, to fathers not to exasperate their children and that sort of thing. But also, how do we treat people who are on an equal footing with us? You know, if you, uh, this can be something of, of a complex thing. If you run into your boss in the post office, we live in a free society, well, he's your social equal when you're there. But when you're at work, he's your superior. And you have to relate to him in a different way. You relate to somebody as a superior. And this commandment expects you to relate respectfully and honoringly to, if that's a word, uh, to your employer at work. Your minor children are your inferiors in the family structure. And even when they're grown up, you are to be honored as their parents. It's appropriate for you to act like the superior in those relationships, though without lording it over them so as to provoke them to bitterness and anger. But certainly, socially speaking, when your children are grown up, they are, uh, as citizens of the nation, they are your equals. In the church, if they are members of the church, even when they're minor children, they are your equals in membership in the church. They're subject to the same church discipline that you're subject to, and we're all equal in that regard. But as we go on, the Catechism also goes on to say that the fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. So we have to treat people as... in correctly in their relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. And then also it forbids anything against 
the proper honor of someone in their proper position relative to us. So it forbids dishonoring your father and your mother, dishonoring a political leader, dishonoring your children, doing things that would bring dishonor on you in the eyes of your children or your employee or any other social inferior. You know, I can disagree with the President of the United States, and I do often, not just with the current one, but with all of them at some point, I'm sure. I can disagree on policy or ideology, but if the President comes to our community for a visit by virtue of his office, I'm bound to treat him with respect, to honor him with deference. Doesn't mean I blindly obey commands or anything of the sort. Doesn't mean that I can't even tell him when I think that he's wrong. In fact, we could say honoring the president or honoring anyone in political office uh, would include letting them know when they're being unwise. But we have to let them know in a respectful manner. It's so very easy in our society today to be disrespectful as we note how, especially if we think that a policy or an action on the part of a political leader is foolish, to be very disrespectful and argue with them and say, here's how foolish you are. But we, we can communicate those very truths while speaking that truth in love without being dishonoring. So obviously we violate this commandment anytime we would dishonor our earthly father or mother, uh, when we disobey their righteous commands to us when we're young children, when we argue with them or disrespect their desires, uh, even when we're adults. If we ignore or disdain their advice, not saying that you can't, as a, as a grown-up, decide not to follow your parents' advice, but you still need to honor that advice, recognize that it's coming uh, from their experience, their thoughts and feelings that, that are valid. If we fail to care for our parents, meet their needs when they can't care for themselves, after they cared for us, especially when we were children. We meet their needs in old age. If we're failing at that, that's a particular thing that Jesus pointed out as a problem. And when we're failing at that, we're violating this commandment. But we're also breaking this commandment uh, when we fail to honor those in political leadership or judges, uh, senators, as well as the president I mentioned, representatives, governors, all, all people in political authority. Or we dishonor those who employ us. We don't have to agree with them. In fact, the church has a duty to be witnesses against unrighteousness in society, especially in government. It's perfectly appropriate to point out why one individual might be better qualified, biblically speaking, to govern than another. Based on what we know of their personal values. But we have to respect the offices they hold, and thus give honor to the one in the office. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Fear God, honor the king, or it's often translated, honor the emperor. Honor the one in authority. Uh, when Peter wrote that, uh, Nero was the emperor. Nero is a hard person to honor. He's one of those wicked people that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. 
who engaged in wicked relationships with his family members. This is, it's very hard to honor that kind of thing. Of course, you don't honor that. But we still have to honor the office that he held. Peter was saying so. In Romans 13, as we'll read in a few minutes here, uh, Paul is writing also about a government that is under a very wicked ruler, that same one, Nero. The one who, by the way, would then unrighteously abuse his power and persecute Christians and put Peter and Paul to death. But nevertheless, in terms of his legitimate role as the governor of his people, both Paul and Peter told the church to honor him. The Bible tells us even bad government is better than no government. And so we find here in Romans 13, this statement from Paul, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So he says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Of course, as we know, uh, such resistance is required if we're being commanded to disobey God. We only, uh, we only honor and obey those in authority insofar as they have authority to make us obey it, that, uh, insofar as they are uh, compelling us or requiring that we do something that is not sinful. But ordinarily, as Paul says here, he's speaking of a general rule. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. If a ruler does become a terror to good works, we might say as an aside, then he's ruling improperly, and we don't have to honor that. But he says, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's what government's supposed to do. And of course, when government is not doing that or bringing wrath upon those who are trying to obey God, then we have to stand against that. We're not honoring them if we let them go ahead and abuse their authority. But nevertheless, ordinarily, what do we do? We see that ordinarily government is supposed to be executing wrath on those who do evil. Supposed to be punishing crime, for example. Paul goes on and says, Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but for conscience, also for conscience' sake. So, uh, not only because we fear this wrath coming upon us, but so that we can be uh, clear in our consciences. He says, For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So we're to pay taxes so that government can function and do this job. He says, Render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We are commanded to honor those who are in authority over us. And that's an extension of the command, honor your father and your mother. Again, I don't have to agree with the president's stance on a particular topic. Think of abortion as a hot-button issue in our own society for a very long time. In fact, I, I have a duty to call such leaders to repentance. But I have to honor 
those leaders as men and women God has placed in authority over our nation for the time being. Now, if the president asked me to sin, I would have a duty to God to resist that. But I must honor and I must pray for those in authority over us. Paul tells us to pray for those in authority over us because God desires all manner of men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2. The same goes for employers when we're at work, pastors and elders when we're engaging in church, teachers when we or our children are in school. But also we could say to teachers, if there would be any listening to this sermon later, which I know we don't have any professional teachers here at the moment, uh, but uh, those who are teaching outside of Sabbath school, that is, uh, you know, to say that to teachers, especially in the state schools, the parents of children, the children that teachers are teaching, need to be honored as the ones to whom God has entrusted these little ones. And so that's especially good for public school teachers to remember. Uh, a public school teacher might work for the state, but the state does not own those children. As much as many want that to be the case, it is not the case. God owns those children, and he has entrusted them first and foremost into the keeping of their parents, not the state. That's something we need to step back there from and also note a lot of people object to the notion that the state owns your children and then their answer to that is to say, no, I own my children. Well, no, you don't own your children. They are free human beings also. You do have authority over them and it is a greater authority than the state has over them or it's a more primary authority, certainly. But God owns them and God has entrusted them to your care as parents. And he's given that care first and foremost to the parents and not to the state. The state has a a duty to protect those children, but the first duty for and to those children is the parents. Again, all this goes as long as sin is not being required. All of us have a sacred duty to protect children from abuse, for example, whether it's from a parent, a teacher, a pastor, anyone in authority over them. But as we've seen in each sermon in this series so far, and will in the others to come, Lord willing, if we think that we're going to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, think about how you have, how well have you kept this particular commandment. Well, each one of us has already failed, I know. I'll, I'll admit I just preached about honoring those in political office over me as an extension of this commandment, of keeping this commandment, And I guarantee you, I have failed at that. I have sinned in not honoring those in office over me. I have learned to do a better job at it more recently than I used to. But it's not not a temptation that I that I uh, resist enough. It's very easy to dishonor certain ones in authority over us. But rather, these commandments serve as a mirror, whereby as they, on the one hand, show us God's high and holy standard, just how holy God is. And they reveal to us, on the other hand, just how far short we fall from that holiness. And so they tell us, you and I need 
a Savior who is perfectly righteous. We need that unblemished lamb that we talked about this morning. Well, having that Savior in the God-man, Jesus Christ, we respond then, as also we saw this morning, by what? Obeying Him. For one thing, in order to show Him how grateful we are and to glorify Him and to bring glory to Him uh, from among mankind around us. It's how we show God that we love Him. Remember, the summary of the first table of the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Well, keeping the rest of these commandments also is a way of showing our love to God by showing our love of neighbor. As that relates to the fifth commandment, it means properly honoring everyone whom God has placed in authority over us. And it especially means honoring those who brought us into the world or who raised us. But there's one other thing. This commandment comes with a specific blessing. As Paul says, it's the first one that comes with a blessing when it's obeyed. There are blessings to obeying all the commandments, but this one states a particular one. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Of course, that promise came to Israel. They were in the wilderness They were going to be heading to the promised land. They ended up, because of their disobedience, having to stay in the wilderness for about 40 years. But eventually they were going into that land that the Lord their God was giving them. And God said, obeying this commandment in particular will keep you in that land for longer. This isn't promising specifically long life to every individual who's good at honoring his father and his mother or her father and mother. But it's promising long days for the people in the land. It's promising stability for a society. In other words, obeying this commandment contributes to a stable and prosperous and peaceful society. The foundation of a well-ordered society is a well-ordered family. This is one of the reasons why statists people who are interested in making the state the primary authority in your life and taking, uh, making it replace the family and God, they want to undermine, whether they're consciously doing it, some are, and others are just unconsciously doing it, but they're undermining the family. That's one reason why it's so important that we defend marriage as God created it, that we defend families as God intended them to exist with a father and a mother and children. So marriage between one man and one woman, uh, why we stress the need for families to be well-ordered, because well-ordered families make for a well-ordered society. It's good for all of us. Respect for parents, honoring parents, and for those in authority is necessary if there is to be peace, stability, and prosperity. That the that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Again, that the day that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for parents who raise children, especially those who seek to honor you as they raise their children. We pray for all parents and everyone in authority that they may be godly, that we might see new generations raised up to glorify you, and that our society may be stable 
prosperous and peaceful and especially God-honoring. For we pray these things in the name of the one who is rightfully the head of all families and the king of all nations, Jesus Christ. Amen.